have a small amount of fun here on the Rec Poker Podcast, whether it's jamming out to the intro music or it's just joking around behind the scenes. Um, I have the best freaking job in the world. Uh, my name is Jim Reed. On Monday nights, I get to host this phenomenal podcast, the Rec Poker Podcast. But it's just the tip of the iceberg uh, for what we do here at Rec Poker. We're a free poker learning community. We do road trips. Uh, we play home games. We've got forums. We've got a Discord channel. Um, we've got a premium membership where you can learn along with other members of the Wrecking Crew and professional poker coaches. Um, there's so much to find out about Rec Poker. There's so much to dive into. Uh, if you come on over to www.rec.poker and sign up for a free account, all it takes is an email address and a smile, and you can get involved with some of these fantastic people here, poker-loving people just like you. If you're listening to this podcast, I hope you're having a great time. Thanks for tuning in. My name's Jim Reed. I'm Bluffsterini in the home game and at RecPokerJim on Twitter. Um, before we get started, I want to thank our sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino. Most of what we do here at Rec Poker is free, like I say, so we, we're a largely volunteer-based organization. So we rely on our uh, sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino, and of course, our premium members. Uh, we've got a wonderful uh, premium membership program here at Rec Poker, and we've got a couple uh, of our members, Eric and John. Uh, one of the perks of uh, being a premium member, on, aside from uh, being able to join all our learning material, our study sessions, all the stuff we do week in and week out throughout the month. Um, aside from being able to go behind the scenes of all these other great poker sites and using their own paywall premium training material, uh, one of the perks is coming here on the forums edition of the podcast and bringing a hand that you found interesting today. So we're going to look at a hand uh, from Ben Enslow. Ben's a member of the Wrecking Crew, just like me and Kevin Mathers and Darrow Kearney and a number of other wonderful people, Gareth James. Um, we're all just poker lovers, and we're here to share that love of poker with the rest of the world. So if you want to find out more about me and the rest of the Wrecking Crew, you can go to rec.poker slash crew. But just listen up because you're going to meet a few of them here tonight. As uh, Jim mentioned, I'm Ben Enslow. I'm BJMN96 on Twitch. You can find my the rest of my socials over there and um, East Coast Bitter in the home game. I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5B5 on Twitter or 5x5 in the PokerStars home game. My name is Eric Jin. I'm Binkley on the forums, COM Binkley in the home games. And you can find me on Twitter at Breck Binkley. But I am John Somsky. I am Poker Geek MN everywhere. Nailed it, buddy. I'm Rob Washam, and I'm Rabman50 just about everywhere. I'm Taylor Moss. I'm at Taylor underscore Moss on Twitter and GopherboyTJM in the Rec Poker home game. So every week we get a different uh, rotation of the uh, Wrecking Crew. There's there's a lot of different Wrecking Crew members here. Uh, not everyone shows up to every event. It's humanly impossible to for one person to attend everything that happens here at Rec Poker. You could not do it. I'm not. That's not hyperbole. It's impossible. You couldn't do it. Um, so I'm glad to have these wonderful members of the Wrecking Crew here to talk poker tonight. And I'm so pleased when our premium members come and join us on the show. Uh, so we've got Eric and John here to join us tonight. Eric, uh, why don't you share your your username and where folks can reach you here uh, in the Rec Poker home games and that kind of thing? Uh, best place to find me is at Rec Doc Poker. I'm E Anderson 85, both there and on Poker Stars. And I'm John Kroll. I'm 7-Eleven in the uh, home game. And if you're a regular listener, you've heard from Eric and John before. Uh, these are two fantastic poker players. 
uh, posters in the forums. They're very active in our training material and our uh, studies and events and uh, uh, study sessions and that kind of thing. They're also kicking butt in the home game club. It's no surprise that uh, the, pl- the players and members that get more involved, they pick up the material, they go and crush on the felt. So I'm great uh, grateful to you both for your support in the premium membership and for your insights that you continue to lend uh, to all these episodes that we've been recording together over time. So we are assembled here tonight to talk about a poker spot that came up. I teased at the top of the show. It's a hand from Ben. Uh, ben is a very popular Twitch streamer. He's putting out his action out there multiple days a week. Uh, you can go follow him at uh, bjammin96, where he's got all his great stuff over there over at twitch.tv. And uh, Ben, this is a hand that you played recently. You put it out on Twitter. And it ended up here in the Rec Poker Forum. So without further ado, just re- just remind people again where they can go to watch you do your magic on Twitch <laughs> and then walk us through uh, the hand here. So yeah, so as we say, we like to jam. <laughs> Jamming is always happening on here. So it's Jamming, uh 96 over there on Twitch. We're also on YouTube too. So if you guys want to check me out there, it's actually my name, which is just Ben Enslow. So you can go and Look me up over there if you guys have YouTube. It'd be great to get some some more follows. And yeah, so we've been picking up some steam there. I'm still trying to learn the ins and outs of video editing. So that's always uh that's always a fun challenge. So oh yeah, there's a hole with no bottom. Good luck with oh, that. Oh yeah, ever, exactly. Yeah. We'll put you on the payroll here in no time. <laughs> um, no, I shouldn't even have mentioned that because now I know yeah. I'm gonna be in for a world of hurt. <laughs> yeah, you know it. All right. Um, so this was uh what what made this hand stand out to you? So yeah, so I've satellited in, in this specific hand, we've satellited into the $330 WPT main event. This is part of their main main event, uh, part of their winter festival. Um, So it's a bit bigger than what I would normally play. I usually stick to like the $20 and $30 tournaments. I don't usually play in the anything over $100. So it's a little bit bigger than we've normal what I would normally play. And uh, yeah, it's day one. So we've, we've picked a flight. There's multiple flights. So we've got to get to day two to make any kind of a cash or anything like that. So early on in day one, we've got, I think we've got around 60 big blinds, I believe, to start the hand. Yep, We're right. in the hijack and we have king king 10 offsuit. And we raised, raise, yeah, I know. We, we were just talking about this hand actually and how much we... It gets, it gets tricky because you have two broadways, but you offsuit it is obviously dimish, diminishes the value right away. But I feel like it has some value, especially in this field where it's a lot of satellite players. And I think the field is pretty soft from what I've played on there, even in, in these bigger tournaments. Um, and that's why I was really battling to try and win a satellite seed into this one because I knew there was going to be lots of satellite players in spots that I could probably scoop up some chips um yeah a game so selection all, yeah you know, we so talked about I'm, that's super important yeah so i think uh all that being said i think i'm just I was, and in the moment too even on if you go back and watch it i was like ah king king 10 here i even think about folding i even say ah, i'm gonna raise and i take a little time and then i make the raise so we, we raised a 2.6 we get a cutoff call which i'm not excited about in the slightest <laughs> and we get a big a big blind call which um okay with <laughs> um so we go to a flop it's 10 high and i'll let chris take over because i'm not sure exactly what the board was 
Yeah. So one of the reasons I pulled this out is because um, this this episode's coming out in, in February, but last month we really talked about multi-way spots. And when I saw this hand on uh, when Ben posted it on Twitter and was sort of asking for some reaction to it, I was like, oh my God, this is like the perfect hand. This is like exactly some of the stuff that I've been looking at really closely, trying to study a little bit more. And I think it's a really good one for us to have a conversation around. So again, we have King of Diamonds, 10 of Hearts. The diamond is somewhat important in terms of thinking about this. And the flop comes 10 of Clubs, 7 of Diamonds, 3 of Diamonds. Um, so we've hit uh top pair, second kicker, you know, second best kicker. Um, but we're in a spot and this, what, what we talked about in our deep dive was this is what I like to call the sandwich sort of position where we open somebody in position calls and then the big blind comes along as well. It's a very common multi-way sort of situation that you find yourself in when you're in multi-way spots uh, and you're the original opener. This is one of the, the other one is when both blinds call and that's sort of slightly different, but this is a really common one where you're the original opener but you actually, you're not in position, right? And this is going to create a lot of things for us to think about. And I think that's where uh, where we want to kind of start the conversation about um, this. And I don't know if, I mean, what, what does everyone else think about this spot? Do we want to talk about this spot? So we've got 10 of clubs, seven of diamonds, three of diamonds. We got king 10 with the king of diamonds. Uh, the big blind checks to us. Um bet check well the first thing first thing you want to think about is how the equities are lining up um you're opening you know from the hijack cutoff is calling now the cutoff is actually going to have a a little stronger range than the button would if the button had called uh, because the cutoff has to worry about three players that are um one of them being in position so the cutoff's range is going to be somewhat tighter than if have, if we had gotten a call from the button. So right now our equities are probably really close. I mean, obviously Ben has all the aces, kings, queens, the ace kings, because those would probably three bet in the cutoff. But other than that, any of the other broadways are very much a part of the cutoff's range. And then probably any pair, you know, so you're going to be looking at a lot of uh, suited hands, um, suited connectors, a lot of Broadway cards, and a lot of pairs. You're not; it's not going to be as wide as when Ben said that he was glad that the big blind came along, because you know the big blind is going to be sitting there with a you know almost a fifty percent range. So you got to know that the equities are running real close between the hijack and the cutoff in this spot. Next, next thing that I think about is I'm out of position. And C-betting out of position is very, very difficult. Um, I'm not, like Ben said, you're not worried, really worried about the big blind. What you're really worried about is that cutoff just because of his um, equity. So I'm wondering what hands do we check here? What hands make good checks in this situation, knowing that being out of position your frequency of c-betting is going to be much lower than if you're in position against two players. Eric, did you have something there? 
Well, I, I like to think about uh, my reads and the cutoff and whether I need how much I need to protect my checking range. Um, especially in this position, I like to sometimes I'll check 100% range. I don't think that's a bad strategy, especially if you think the cutoff is uh, a more aggressive player and just will stab with anything. So, um, so if you do have that read, they're you know they love to stab. I love checking here, um, but uh, conversely, if you feel that they're overfolding, then you could you could stab. So I either like a check or or small bet in this situation. Eric Anderson. Oh, sorry, John. Eric, go ahead, Eric. Oh, I was just gonna kind of pile on with Eric and say I love checking here too. And uh, anytime you feel like raising. Um, Rob mentioned that range advantage uh, is probably pretty even. I was taught that if you have range advantage, you bet often. If you have nut advantage, you bet big. Um, we don't have range advantage, so we don't need to bet very often. But if we do decide to bet, we bet big because we, we do have the, the nut advantage. Um, and also, I would take all of those raises and turn them into check raises. Um, I think I think checking a hundred percent here would be would be great. John Zomsky. Now, for some reason, John, your mic is just not picking you up immediately. Try again. I can hear him. Oh, really? Okay. Am I the only one that can't? No. Oh, all right. Maybe it's a technical right. issue on my end. So uh, my my knee jerk reaction would be to bet, but uh, I think that's probably a mistake. Because um, I think you end up getting called. There aren't a lot of hands that are going to call you. You maybe get called by a seven. Uh, eights and nines might call as well. Um, other than that, you're probably not getting called by too much that you actually beat. I think you might get more value by allowing the cutoff to take a stab at it. Can I be on the team bet bandwagon then? Uh, there's a couple reasons that I kind of like a bet here. First, uh, a pair of tens kind of needs protection. It's kind of a hand that really benefits from betting and getting uh, hands like queen jack to fold or you know something like that. Because when a queen or jack uh, comes on the turn or even an ace, uh, we're not happy anymore uh, and we're really frustrated. Uh, and then if we think about it, likewise, if it checks through and then more low cards come out, well, that's kind of scary for the big blinds range. So while when I bet here, I don't really expect it to go fold, fold. Um, I'm expecting probably one of them to fold and I'm going to have a much better defined view of like how I'm hoping this hand kind of runs out. Cause if the cutoff calls, um, it's kind of situations where it's like, okay, don't, don't give me too many over cards. Uh, maybe stay away from this flush, but having the king of diamonds and a top pair here, like I'm all right betting here. Um, and if I ever get raised, I'm happy with that too. Like how much better can we be in this spot uh, than having king 10 uh, with the king of dime diamonds also in our hand. So I'm kind of happy with this spot and I'm just going to bet here to just try and like deny equity from some hands that should just straight up fold uh, when we bet. Yeah, I feel like I'm getting 
pulled in multiple directions here on this spot because this is one of those places like a lot of spots in poker where there's like competing factors there's there's you know this our, our absolute hand strength top pair second kicker um makes me feel like we should be betting here we get to kind of continue our aggression there's definitely worse tens that are going to call, you know, hands like seven, eight, seven, nine, stuff like that. I can think of like just a ton of hands that are worse than ours that will continue. Um, the hands that beat us, there's not that many combos of them at this point. We At least we haven't like narrowed our opponent's range to exclude a bunch of the other hands. Like there's only so many 10 sevens, pocket sevens, pocket tens. You know, I think jacks plus preflop are probably raising us at a non-trivial frequency so i feel like we've got value targets out there i mean king 10 don't get me wrong it's a garbage hand don't play this kind of garbage this is why you don't play king 10 it's just oh, it's a terrible hand um offsuit but at the same time and, and like you guys are talking about earlier i think chris mentioned this there's kind of like this if this was a heads up pot this might even be a, a hand uh, a spot that you would make a big bet on because you your opponents can't make a straight they uh can they're gonna have a one pair hand quite a bit and you're beating almost every one pair hand other than ace 10 um and yeah so but it's a i'm also getting torn i'm gonna drag in this other direction where it's a multi-way pod i'm supposed to size down i'm supposed to see beth less frequently um so I'm I'm just running myself in circles here, to be honest with you. I'm glad we're getting so many different opinions on the crew here because it feels like a uh, a spot that's not perfectly intuitive to me. Yeah, not, oh, go ahead, Ben. I was just saying I'm just I'm I'm surprised by how many people are saying check, but I do like it. I like the check raise, but it, we have to be sh- it, to check raise. We have to be sure that somebody's going to bet. So that's where I'm kind of like, that's where I get into where you're saying where you're kind of torn on what to do, because if I check raise I, or if we check, I really want to raise with this hand. But I'm also like putting a lot of faith in this player behind to bet and make it a bet that I can check raise and not I'm not just going to check call where he makes a big bet. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, now what do I do <laughs> kind of thing? So, yeah. One of the reasons that I, I when this hand came up, I, w- I was so excited for us to talk about it and, and to sort of put this into the forums, I think, is that um, this is the exact kind of hand that I think we really want to spend some time thinking about. And, and I love the perspectives being shared here. And I think like my initial instinct with this is like, I don't know what to do either. Like I want to deny equity. I want to, I've got the King of Diamonds as sort of a, a, a you know, parachute emergency, whatever hatch thing that I want. Um, but at the same time, um, we are in a really precarious spot with this. And one of the things um, that if you haven't done this out there, um, either on the panel or in our audience, um, that as I've seen people talk about multi-way spots, uh, one of the best tools out there that we can use, if you don't have something that you're paying lots for, like simple three-way or something, um, is Flopzilla. And what you can do, with if you're not aware of this, with Flopzilla, you can actually analyze multi-way ranges and their equities against each other and you can start to see how uh what different kinds of flops look like in this exact situation um and i in the forum post i actually ran this for this and i think one of the really interesting things with this is that we as the initial uh raiser 
uh, in this hand where we where we're maybe used to like, oh, I flop top here, I have initiative, I this is really great. Um, this is actually a spot where we are pretty even in equity with the cutoff. We're like really, really close. And the big blind actually has a decent amount. But more importantly, is that equity is distributed for the cutoff towards the top end of their, like they have what Eric was talking about, more of the nut advantage here, Um, which may seem counterintuitive. We've got top pair with a king, but they actually do have a lot of hands in their, in their, like the part of their range that is pushing their equity above ours are hands that beat us. And so one of the reasons I'm advocating for a check here is not necessarily for the opportunity to check raise, which is great. Let's have it. But I love this if this checks through. If this checks through and the big blind checks, now I have a ton of information. And I and let's just say the, the, the turn is a blank. It's not a and I, I understand Taylor's point. If a jack or a queen or an ace comes, that's going to really muddy the waters for us. But if this comes through as a blank, basically any other card in the deck besides a jack, a queen, or an ace, and it's checked through, and then the big blind checks, I am betting with abandon here. Like, I am so confident in my hand at that point. Whereas right now, I'm betting, and I feel like I'm almost betting for information. Um, I, I understand we're also betting because we have value and equity protection and that kind of thing as well. But, like, there's some element, I think, about this. And that's what I think... Um, when we're in these spots where we have to remember these flatting ranges in position, like the cutoff and the button type flatting ranges are very narrow and very particular types of ranges. Um, they're, they're not top heavy, but they're not bottom heavy. They don't have any garbage and they don't have any great hands. Usually some people might trap with aces and Kings and that kind of thing, but most of the time they don't have that really top stuff, but they never have garbage. Um, and so it's a very tough range to bet into, but once they check, it really diminishes the value of their range. So that's one argument for checking at least. You know, Another thing I, I didn't think of before was uh, the big blind uh, could be getting ready to check raise us. I mean, they've got at the board is 10, seven, three, they got all those sets in their hand. Um, yep. Definitely. So it's, it's better to check if they're getting ready to check raise us too. Yeah, but they might have those, they'll have those types of hands more than we will, but the number of them in their entire range is very small. Yeah, the so percentage the, of their range. The yeah. percentage of the range that actually has have those hands is so small that I wouldn't worry about that. Now, I like uh, Chris's point about um, if it checks around, that's a great outcome. And I think Taylor is right that there aren't really a lot of good turn cards for us. We don't really like high cards or low cards. But another competing factor, this is a hand of competing factors, is this isn't a three streets of value hand for us either. So if we can just lop off one of the streets and uh, avoid having to play a big pot uh, with a with a one pair hand on a dynamic board like this, because it's a very dynamic flop, um, it's very unlikely that a pair of tens is going to be the best hand at showdown if all three players continue to get to the river. But again, that makes that that sounds like an argument for betting, doesn't it? Uh, that, that protection bet. Let's like end the hand right here. Um, 
So I think that's that's I'm just so confused that poker is a terribly difficult game to play. And I and now and I, I want to point out we're doing a, a good job of kind of teasing out some of the factors here. But, folks, the link to this hand in the forums is in the show notes. So if you're listening to this podcast, flip to the show notes and click the link to see the hand. I say that because you don't need an account to look in the forums. You can you can join if you're just a podcast listener. Click on the link and you really want to see the graphics that Chris has put together here and posted in the hand, um, the charts, uh, the graph, the distribution um, that the solver outputs, it's much easier to kind of follow along and intuitively grasp what Chris is talking about. If you come and take a look at the graphics in the, in the forum post, and that's true for a lot of the hands that we talk about on the air here. Um, I also want to point out that there's some fantastic comments here from some pretty new members here at Rec Poker. Uh, George, uh, has a response here and says that they're new. They say a check is probably GTO based on their little bit of knowledge. And if they're going to see bet, would bigger be better? And uh, Mezzodana, uh, Dana uh, Craven, who's a new premium member here, uh, wants more information about the number of players at the table and uh, some other information like that. Eric Anderson, who's here tonight, has posted a screenshot so everyone can see the positions and the stack sizes and everything like that. So I, I would say you'll you'll get more out of it if you come and check out the forum post here. But um, we're gonna get we're gonna tease out some pretty cool stuff here on the show as well. So Chris, we're getting pulled in all these different directions. What uh, where should we take it from here? Well, this is I mean this is so this is why multi way hands are really complicated. But I think one of the things to walk away from here is I don't think it's necessarily wrong to check or bet here. I think we probably ultimately, this is one of those that probably plays as a mix, but if your instinct I think is to do one or the other, I think you're probably not, you know, like probably not thinking about these spots as deeply and and you're probably playing them more like a heads up spot rather than a multi-way spot. And a multi-way spot is going to create a really, a much more, complicated dynamic and one that we that can benefit from checking hands as strong as top pair sometimes much mm-hmm. more than than we can in in a heads up i i would never check this hand in a heads up pop well i would rarely check it in a heads up pot um against the big blind for um mm-hmm. but um against the button I'm or the cutoff I might but yeah so I, I just think there's a lot to learn from these spots and there's a lot to dig in um and it's one that I think we can we can as we can hear we can there's lots of ways to approach these <laughs> now even before we move on to further action here um the people that would check this spot where is the threshold for betting then what is the hand strength what's the worst hand that you're betting for value here um, if we're full, if we're checking uh, King 10, is it Ace 10? Is it Pocket Jacks? Is it 7 3? Uh, Rob, you unmuted first. What What do you think? I think I'm looking for hands that um, I don't mind folding if I get raised. Mm-hmm. You know, um, or over pairs, you know, like you say, Jacks, Queens, those types of hands, I'd probably feel comfortable betting. But a hand like this, I like the check because you have to protect your checking range because your checking range is going to have a lot of garbage in it. True. And you need some you need to have some value there. This is right at the I think this is about as high a, a value hand that you could have in your checking range. But I like having this type of hand in my checking range. 
Uh, maybe even nines. Nines could be in my checking range also, because then I, I could still call a bet with nines. Um, but if I get raised, I feel really uncomfortable. Now, if I bet out with jacks or queens or kings or aces, I'm going to feel very comfortable calling any type of raise. Whereas here, I it just leaves me in a very icky spot. But I know I can call a bet. Mm-hmm. If so I just check feel, and get you, bet into, I feel I can call a bet with this hand. You feel better about your equity when you're the one checking and calling the bet as opposed to when you're the one betting and their stronger range is, is the one calling. That makes sense. I, I, their I stronger range is raising. Right, right. I really yes. agree with this. Like I, I want to bet the hands that I either feel comfortable bet folding or that I'm comfortable getting it in with pretty much, you know, like even though we're 60 blinds, like, so that's like over pairs. It's like nut flush draws on the like strong end of this. And then it's like maybe some, some, some weaker holdings as well. Um, it's like pocket like, jacks with the jack of diamonds feels very similar to King 10 with the King of diamonds in, in hand ranking. You know what I mean? Like there's ACE 10 and then jacks is really the next, best hand um so it does feel like we're right on the cusp uh for that but like a hand like uh eight nine of diamonds or something that's going up and down with the flush draw uh is that one of those hands that you might bet here or does it have so much equity that it it also falls into this kind of i don't want to fold it to a raise um what about top top set you're kind of blocking anything they're going to call with if you have top set wouldn't you kind of slow play that Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'm probably if I it's the the is it it's ten seven three right so it's ten seven my, three yeah so it's my other sets that I'd be, I'd probably be betting here as well the sevens the threes and um, we can have those, them all yeah. those combo draws probably are in there as well they're ones that I just I feel like um, when we get when the in position player starts to play back at us that we have. Because let's remember, the big blind can still have a pretty big hand here as well. Yeah. So we've got to get through two players when we bet here. And the big blind is not insignificant on this flop. So This feels like a spot if I've got eight, nine of diamonds, I'm probably bet shoving. Just because you can actually get some folds from better hands. It's hard to get a fold from a better hand when you've got like king ten. Because they're no one's folding a better hand; they're only continuing with with better hands. Um, whereas eight nine of diamonds, you've got nine high. Uh, that feels like you have a lot of equity, but you have a low amount of showdown value. I I like to choose those kind of hands for my semi bluff shows. Okay, well that's a lot of <laughs> that is so much to take in. That is that is really good though because. In the moment, and the thing is, I haven't usually. I write these all out, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, I got insight and stuff." I haven't done any of that. I clipped the hand, I threw it in there. I seen Chris post. I was like, "Good, right on, awesome." My work's done. <laughs> Wash my hands up. <laughs> but it's good because I'm getting all your guys's feedback that I haven't really heard or heard or had the time to look at myself. So this is kind of giving me a different look. Where, yeah, it's it's good. I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, so as you guys led into. And as I said, I was really excited about that in the moment. I was like, yeah, King 10, ooh, I'm going to bet. So we bet out 3.11 big blinds and we get raised pretty quickly by the cutoff <laughs> <laughs> um, to 13 big blinds. And 
the big blind releases pretty quickly. And uh, yeah, now we're now we're in this spot that we all dread <laughs> that we were <laughs> kind of talking about. Yeah, and there were there were nine set. nine big blinds or so in the pot. So you yeah, got three point, for about yeah. a third, mm-hmm. um, and then get raised to thirteen, which is as Chris references in the post is like an uncomfortable amount. Um, and we are the effective stack coming in here with a little over. 60 big blinds so we're out of position and the imposition player covers us and they're the one taking the aggressive action so exactly none of those things are really going our way uh at this point but we've got you know top pair second kicker so when uh and ben let's pause your action so that we can hear from everybody else so what uh, after everyone swallows the little bit of puke that came up in their mouth when they got raised here uh what's the next thing that you're thinking is does anyone want to just eliminate any actions here or is there one that they strongly prefer rob what are you thinking well the first thing i would do is try to say okay what in the world is he raising me with Mm -hmm. what kind of hand is he raising me with the best scenario is he's raising me with a flush draw right or a straight draw he, you know, if he, any other hand that he's raising me with has got me beat because he's not raising you with Jack 10 or Queen 10. Right. It's going to be a minimum of Ace 10, 10, 7, which he probably doesn't have, um, sets of 10, sets of seven, sets of threes, which he probably doesn't even have threes in his range. So there's very few hands that, that he's betting this way that we're actually ahead of. So I just, um, that that would be my thought, and that's where I'd go into the tank and try to figure it out. Eric? Yeah, so a couple things just to note is that um, having the King of Diamonds uh, decreases the chances of them having a flush draw. The fact that the 10 is not a diamond on the flop means they could have a, t- a pair plus a flush draw which has a lot of equity. We might be ahead, but it has, has a lot of equity uh, if they have a pair plus flush draw. Yeah, and if they do, if they have the 10 of diamonds, then the kind of hand that they're going to have is going to be like jack 10, 9, 10, 10, 8. And those hands not only have a flush draw, but on 10, 7, 3, they also have a straight draw or at least a, a backdoor. So they have a ton of equity to go along with their one pair hand. I guess one of the questions that Rob was kind of getting at here is, are they ever raising us with worse? Like, are they raising us with a worse 10 it, with the kind of hand that Eric's talking about where maybe only they those, have another diamond? Only yeah. those diamonds that you mentioned. It's like, yeah, it's Jack 10, Queen 10, 10, 9, ten nine diamonds. Some of those, yeah. those are the only ones that we're beating that have a pair. Right. And they, they raise... They raised against two people because the big blind was still in yeah. the hand. And we expect the big blind to check range as well. So it feels, and I guess we didn't, I don't think we talked about this yet, but do we have any notes on this imposition player, Ben? Uh, do we, have we been playing with them for so long enough to get any reads? That's kind of the thing that makes it a little tricky on WPT is that there's no note taking yet. They're in their infancy of their site. So there's no actual note taking way of me to take notes on players like there would be on stars or other sites that i play on so you know i i 
I, in theory, I should be, you know, taking notes and saying, okay, you know, but it's, it's, it's just like when you're playing more than one table. Now I was only playing two tables at the time. I, if you watch the video, I have the $22 bounty builder on stars up and those were the only two tournaments that I was playing. So I wasn't super overwhelmed. I probably could have been taking notes, but at this time, no. And the other thing is there's a lot of, uh, Eastern players. So some of the names with the, uh, with the writing and stuff like that, it's hard to kind of distinguish exactly who's who. So I try to go by the uh, pictures and stuff like that. Good point. Yep. So it gets really, really tricky. So if WPT is listening, maybe update your software, <laughs> put, in, put in some notes. Um, but I have been sending, I have been, because I've been playing on the site so much and been streaming it, I've been, you know, making suggestions to them and stuff like that. So hopefully that's on their radar. Um, I guess if, yeah. we, if, if we had a sense of like, are they the kind of player that raises with draws or are they only the kind of player that raises with two pair or better? Like that would be, that would really inform our decision-making here. Um, yeah. My overall consensus would be like, I think they do actually have worse tens from what I've seen on this site. I really do feel like they could raise worse tens. Like they could just be overvaluing a 10 mm -hmm. with maybe a single diamond just from the experience that I've had on the site. Um, and I even say like, right before he puts the chips in, you hear me say like, I don't think I can fold to a raise and he puts the raise in as I like the words yeah, leaving yeah. my mouth. <laughs> so that made it kind of interesting as well. Um, cause then I'm there like, oh, I just, I just thought about that situation now. <laughs> it's yeah, too late. I already bet. <laughs> one of the things that just sucks in this spot is. The other thing is we're going to be out of position for the whole rest of the hand. We're going to be, we're going to have, we're not going to have range advantage because they're going to be the ones that have to taken the initiative by raising our, our flop bet here. So even if they have like 10 Jack with the Jack of diamonds and we've got 10 King with the King of diamonds, they're dominated by us. We've got them wrapped up six ways from Sunday. We still might end up folding to their action later in the hand, we, even if they are overvaluing uh, a thin value bet. Like, I just, it feels like we're in a position now where it's going to be very difficult for us to realize our equity in the hand all the way through the river. Um, which is why I don't play garbage hands like King 10 offsuit. Don't play. Well, that's, I was just going to say, when you're out of position, equity realization is much lower than when you're in position. Yeah. Yeah. Because he can act last and you really don't have the option of force, you know, doing something that is going to take him off his hand. Because as Jim Reed always says, <laughs> by taking particular actions, you're letting your opponent play perfectly. And when you're out of position, you don't have a choice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a lousy, it's a lousy feeling. Um. Okay, so it sounds like you did play it as a call here, Ben. Chris, was there anything else about this decision point that you wanted to uh, talk about? No, I mean, I think it's a really interesting spot, uh, but this is this is one of the exact kind of things that we protect ourselves uh, by checking this spot rather than betting it, because um, this is a really painful spot. Like, it's like, well, I have that king of diamonds. Um, it's good, but as Eric pointed out, it's also kind of like it weights them a little more towards value too, mm -hmm. which isn't good. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, but it also gives us, you know, like 
I'm I'm searching for the word here. What what what's the it's the it's the, the it's not great glass in case you the rip, what's yeah. the skydiving thing when you're <laughs> yes, like we need some help? Yeah. It's the emergency shoot. Do you want to cut away? Yeah, okay, that's oh, what I yeah. Want. I want the- yeah, Eric's the guy to ask, of course. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> that's what I want. That's what the King of Diamonds is, right? It's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna help me out if this all goes to hell. So I don't know. I mean, I think it's, you know, I probably would be calling this, I think, with because I have the King of Diamonds. And then it's just Sa- no safety good net. turn or river cards. Yeah, safety net. Yeah, that's right. Um, but there's just no good turn of river cards other than tens or kings, right? Like, in, in, unless you know that the two of them are going to be diamonds and one of them is the ace of diamonds. <laughs> I guess that would also be okay. Well, the first feel one... a lot more more oh, comfortable if you had checked and you were just calling a raise. Yes. Yeah. Or calling a bet. I mean, yeah. I mean, wouldn't you it's feel a lot more comfortable with that? And that's why you have these types of hands in your checking range. Because you can defend with them if they bet into you. And to Chris's point earlier, if they check back, now you're now you're feeling really good about yourself. Mm-hmm. Plus the bet will be smaller to call. Yeah. You check. So Ben does call and then we get a five of diamonds on the turn. Um so do do we like that? Do we not? I don't know, right? So this is exactly what Jim was saying. Uh, like uh cards you know there are no great turn cards for us uh when we make this call um i think there's there's no way that we can do anything but check um now right nobody nobody advocating to to lead out here right okay so so no, we he's check. probably got pocket fives <laughs> yeah is is villain uh chris jones by any chance because that really weights him towards nah, he'd five. have the five of diamonds if he did that That's <laughs> uh but well, uh i mean not that i not that anyone would do that but uh um <laughs> so uh so we do check and then villain bets uh if i remember this right Ben, no villain checks. Villain checks back, and they check back like pretty quickly. Like they oh, don't. That's right. That's right. They that's don't right. mess. Around. They don't mess around. They they. It's just check check, which okay, was so really check, surprising check, to me. And then we get uh, nine of spades on the river, um, which we check again. Think, and I think what you said was, um, you know, you were gonna you were gonna call. I think on stream you said I'll call a reasonable bet, um, and then villain basically puts you all in yeah he he Plus makes a, he makes a pot size bet so there's 35.1 in the pot and we have 50 and a half behind yeah so yeah, yeah pretty 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 close. massive we'll have chips left over but we're not going to have a very big stack um well, I think the, f- the, 15 big blinds or something like that the turn five of diamonds doesn't scare me as much when the big blind has folded because I don't think other than the diamond aspect, I don't think it really smashes the imposition player as much. And then knowing that we've got the King is nice. The nine, I, I hate the nine. I hate the nine on the river, given the kind of hands that we were talking about being ahead of um, in our opponent's range, you know, that's that, that improves a lot of theirs. And uh, now there's a straight, out there plus some two pair combos that we were uh, comfortably ahead of before um and of course they could they could check a flush do we think 
Do we think them checking back the turn really takes a lot of the flushes out of their range? Like I, I feel like some tricky players are just going to check there and try and get value on, on the route. It, if Ben said that there's a lot of people that potentially satellited into this and might be a softer field, like this is a classic, like, uh, entry level player. Oh, I got the flush. I better check, uh, to not give away the, the strength of my hand. Uh, and then when it checks behind and then they get on the river, they're like, well, now I got to get value. And maybe they'll think I'm, I'm bluffing here. So I I'd be running for the Hills on this river personally. And remember that, um, we said that almost all the hands that he would have bet that we were ahead of were flush draws. Right. So now he's hit his flush draw or he had us beat to begin with. Yep. Does it, I, don't does even, any... I don't even want to tell you what, want to tell you what <laughs> yeah. this player had because you guys are just going to be like, wow. <laughs> Earlier I was trying not to laugh because I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe <laughs> I got check raised on this flop. <laughs> Uh, so is is everyone checking the river? Does anyone like like a, blo- a blocking bet here or something? I, I ultimately we're stuck with top pair, second kicker on a board that's flushed and straighted. Um, I don't know. Is this blocker bet territory or is it just always a check and then we respond to the size of the bet? Seems like the size of the bet has to be a pretty crucial element in our decision making here. Yeah, I think you have enough showdown value that you really don't want to jeopardize that by having him um, check, you know, raise over the top of you. I know the blocking bet makes sense, but we saw him raise us when we bet on the flop. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you're, he's capable of that. So I, I don't know. I just hope hope to check it down and be able to see a showdown with this hand. I'm just not real, real comfortable after the raise on the flop. The other nice thing about the check is that it really weakens our range. If the if our opponent's thinking about it, all we've done is bet call um, the flop and then checked on all future streets. So we might induce uh, some bluffs, but it doesn't feel like there's a lot of bluffs left mm. uh, with this run out, right? When and that's what I was trying to find, like in game, like you see me like going through it, and I'm like, oh, what does he have for like what? I'm just trying to think of some stuff, and it's. I always hate that when it's hard to come up with bluffs. It's usually not a bluff, but I really yeah. wanted to, I really wanted to believe that it was a bluff. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> so I made a bad call. <laughs> yeah. Right. So yeah. So, uh, uh, end, end the suspense here, Ben. So he makes a big bet you called and what did he, uh, what did he roll over? So he had the nine of hearts, five of hearts. Oh my God. <laughs> what? Nine of hearts, five of hearts. Let's go back to the flop here for a second. So the flop is 10 of clubs, seven of diamonds, three of diamonds. That's a runner, runner, right? That's, That's runner, 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 two pair. I, I, yeah. I thought he had some two pair combos in there. I did not have nine, five. What's he even doing pre-flop? Okay, fine. So, yeah, Chris, Chris you're sure muted, you, did, but... you weren't playing on ignition? <laughs> <laughs> How... I don't know how this type of player always gets rewarded. It just feels, doesn't it feel like that? Just like this is this because is, I had a sniff and I had a sniff. Like I had a little like, oh, like this isn't right. Like because my first instinct on the river was, oh, this is just a fold now. You hear me say that on the tape. You hear me say, oh, this is just a fold now with my king ten when I have when he bets out the thirty five big blinds. 
And of course, your gut read is always usually the one you should go with. But then I went back to him checking the turn. I'm like, well, what's he checking the turn with? And I'm like, well, if I only lose to ace 10, but what are the bluffs? And then I couldn't come up with any bluffs. And then it's like, then I just, yeah, then I make it. And then I called. (laughs) I couldn't come up with any bluffs. And then I called, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, this this shocked me a little bit. Now you'll know to uh, range him as 9-5. Yeah, (laughs) Dolly Parton. Yeah, that's that's brutal. So I guess he checked the turn. I mean, it's 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 dangerous to project on other players mm-hmm. uh, about this kind of thing. But like a conventional player checks the turn because they picked up the some showdown, showdown value. Yeah, right? that's With what the I was thinking pair. too. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that was my scared by the. Flush? Well, those no, were five of diamonds, they, though, wasn't it? Was the... Yeah, no, there's no way they. I don't but they know. still lose to flushes, though. I know. Yeah, they I know. Think the five is good at showdown. So like the nine, and I still might have two pair. Right? Could right. I still have two pair in this? Could I not? Could I, I could open some 10 9 suited. Yeah, I guess. 10 9 for sure. 10 9 suited. Even 9 10, 7. 9 yeah, 7 is probably C betting. 10 but, 7, maybe. Right. Uh, yeah, that's that's all fine and dandy, but he doesn't know that. Oh <laughs> Rob Wash. Rob is the champion for this kind of thinking. This is why I love having Rob around. Rob, right. I Rob mean, we're, and I. We're, Rob, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, Rob and I are talking about. Um, this kind of player and how, uh, you know, we are encountering this kind of thing a lot um, in the stakes that we're playing. And we kind of, a lot of us here on the panel, sometimes we suffer from some fancy play syndrome because we're kind of projecting a level of competence on these other players that is not there. It's you know, unwarranted. Um, yeah. Cause I think this is, but until you Chris- know, until yeah. you know, you still have to play it as if this person knows what he's doing. So right. our conversation is not from, you know, that conversation we had about the flop and the turn and all, and what we the conversation we had on the river, none of that changes. All that changes now is our note on this guy mm. that he doesn't have a freaking clue. <laughs> he doesn't think about what you have. All he knows is what he has. And so on the flop, he knew for a fact that Ben had ace king. And this flop was no good for ace king. So he decided to raise him thinking that Ben was going to fold his ace king. Because that's what people raise with. The only thing people raise with is ace king. They always have ace king. That's the mentality. I'm so glad that I saved this and that none of you guys actually went and like watched the the seven hour stream or whatever it was and went and like picked out the, the end of the hand and like had a sneaking suspicion as to what was going on. Cause yeah, wow. this was a this was a doozy. This was a wow. doozy. Man, I got I, I gotta figure out how to get on the WPT side, I think. Right? This is what I was saying. I was like, well, I guess I mean this is why I came here because Right. This is what I wanted, kind of, in a way, if the nine doesn't come. Oh, yeah. This goes, you know, a hundred different ways differently. And it's just one of those situations. But I think the thing that I took away from it was me on the river saying, oh, this is a fold. And then going, oh, wait a minute. And then that's where I get caught up, like you say, with the fancy play syndrome of what is this, you know, what are they doing here? Like, just uh, completely unsure. And the action, too, is super weird so yeah but you always have to tell yourself if you're getting bad beat that means you got it in good and that's yeah i mean that's what you want um Mm -hmm. 
But my question is, is it so hard to not project what you're thinking on other players? What do you guys do? I mean, especially if somebody's better than you and they know they know more than you, you don't even know what they're thinking of. You know, I've, I've heard people say, well, that was dumb calling down with second pair, but there's a lot of times you should call down with second pair. And, uh, but if you don't know, you don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's true. And so you kind of pro- project your good play onto the worst players and then you project your bad play onto the better players. And how do, how do you not do that? How, what do you guys do to not project onto the other players? Well, the only thing you can do is before you know how a person plays is you have to play it as close to GTO as your brain allows you to, Mm. you know, make the right types of plays that you would make against any random player until you can start gathering data on that player to understand what types of hands he's opening, what types of hands he's calling, what types of hands is he ever bluffing? You know, if until you get those types of that type of information that allows you to put a different type of range on him and different types of actions on him, you have to play it as if he knows what he's doing and you have to play as close to GTO as possible. But once you find out what he's doing wrong, then you can start taking advantage of that. Yeah, I I would say start with equilibrium with adjustments for population. Yeah, and like uh, uh, Andrew Prokus uh, says in his uh, GTO book, um, when they move an inch, we move a mile. So if we feel like they're deviating a little bit in one direction, we should be deviating a lot in the other direction. Um, so if we feel like they are putting chips in bad, uh, then we should really be coming along a lot more often because that's kind of the mistake that they're making. And obviously I'd love to be in a situation where all my C bets are getting raised by people with only two backdoor straights and like not a lot of equity in the hand. Cause like, yeah, sorry, Chris. So theoretical question, cause I, this is what I struggle with, right? Let's say we, we weren't, we weren't actually actively playing this hand, but we saw it happen. We saw this player. They just got, almost a whole stack because they check or they raised with nine, five of hearts on that board. And they got there, right? We saw that happen. Now we're in the spot. They've just raised us and we've got a hand like King 10, sort of this like decent hand is our adjustment against that player to raise a hand that we would probably never really choose to, I mean, are we like, are we going to shove? Are we going to go all in against this player who's we have deemed as like being like kind of crazy and wild and try to, I mean, what, what is the adjustment against that kind of player once we've seen that? Well, while some other folks are getting their thoughts together to unmute, there's definitely two schools of thought on this. Like, like Rob mentioned earlier, I'm I don't like making actions that our opponents can only play perfectly against us with, which is an argument against shoving. But the argument for shoving is that we actually pick up a pretty good pot here all the times that they fold, even if we're crushing their equity. Um, and so we can just end the hand right now, maybe get called by a worse hand, uh, but probably not. Probably we're only going to get called by better hands that have us crushed. Um, but that happens at a pretty low frequency if they're raising 
all the hands from their value hands down to, you know, double backdoor straights with no other equity in the hand. That's a lot of hands that they're raising with. Um, I don't like the idea of just letting them continue with their better hands that have us crushed. But in the long run, we probably, I mean, pick up a pretty good pot here with a hand that's going to be hard to play on future streets. So there's got to be some value to shoving. I think the other value would just be holding on for dear life, right? If we, I mean, I, I wish we knew how they would act on the river if they didn't make two pair. That would make things a little easier for us. But because they didn't, after that raise on the flop, they didn't really put any other chips in bad. Um, and maybe we are bluffing there and folding the flop, you know, at a, at a certain frequency that makes that that raise less terrible than than we're thinking it is. But I don't really know, Chris. I'm going to go with hashtag it depends. Any other thoughts? What what other adjustments? Don't leave me out on a limb here, gang. What other what what adjustments might uh, uh, some of you make if we had this note? And then we found ourselves in a hand with this with this player. Would it, would it predispose us towards folding to the flop raids or calling or shoving? Thought I saw someone um, on mute there. I'm more wondering yeah. like about the river because the river is like he's really polarizing, and I'm just trying to think if he actually has worse hands that we can beat at that point, or if. He just gets there and we just have to, we still have to just fold. Like, is there any, is my call good? Did I make a good call? Even though I lost. That's what I want to know. Yeah. You know what I'm going to say, Ben? This I'm is where you got to know. Say, I know. They always say. have it. They yeah. always have it. That's Rob's line on the river. Well, this guy's a maniac, right? I mean, basically, he's a maniac. He's playing any two cards and he's trying to over out bet people, get them to fold the hand. Um, the minute you called, he shut down. Even when he got his, even when he's paired his nine, he shut down. So, and this kind of player, it might be worthwhile to bet out again on the turn in this situation. Mm. And by doing that, you're showing so much strength into his, um, at whatever it is, because you know that he's doing this now with just about any two cards trying to get people to fold. So, if you bet into him on the turn, chances are he's going to fold because he's going to th- assume that you have an overpair. John Kroll, Just you a thought. Had, uh... Uh, except that the next time he's playing this, he's got pocket kings. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way to know. Yeah. Yep. Well, it just goes to show aggressive action is difficult to play against, right? This is why we talk a lot about how adding some aggression to your game can make you a, a more difficult opponent. Um, yeah, yeah if it's a cash things. game, you want to get to the other side of him. Yeah, <laughs> seat change. No, seriously. Okay, seat change, let's, let's, definitely. <laughs> you can't do it in tournaments, but you know, if, if you play cash games, there's nothing wrong with just taking that seat change button and... Um, this is be the kind of player I'd rather have on my right than on my left, for sure. Eric Anderson? I, I just want to go on a tangent now. Um, the flop is 10-7-3 with two diamonds. Do you think yeah. his two-bet on the flop would have been better if it was a rainbow flop? Because um, we were talking about mm. you know, the only hands to have are, are flush draws, mostly, and sets. Um, so it's like, it's like Rob said, he's trying to get people to to fold 
Yep. And you'd be much more likely to get somebody to fold if it was a rainbow flop. Yeah, if we can eliminate flush draws from his raising range, then that really weighs it towards more heavily towards value. That makes a lot of sense. Thinking player would have to would have to fold there more at a higher frequency. Or just nine five. If the di- if there's not the five of diamonds on the turn, it's another diamond. The nine five of diamonds. I even say afterwards, I was like, just give him the flush. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then I'm like, okay, yeah. you nice, nice hand. I like is, it a lot better uh, with his nine five of diamonds. I I don't even think it's like yeah. I'm I'm making that raise probably uh, uh, some of the time anyway, um, with the backdoor straights and the uh, and the flush draw there, but yeah, gross gross spot. I, hey Ben, thanks for calling so that we at least got some entertainment out of this experience. Thanks for playing bad in a in a three hundred and thirty dollar yeah. tournament that you satellited into. Really, really a one job there. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. No, I, close to I, I, I enjoy I enjoy uh I enjoy poker too much to to let yeah. uh, bad beats bring me down. What I played uh you can't keep a good dog down. It's from a Disney movie uh Nice. Do- all dogs, all, all dogs, dogs go, go to heaven. All dogs <laughs> go to heaven. So that's, uh, I think that's going to be my new motto on the on the stream. <laughs> I love it. Well, uh, thanks to Ben Enslow for putting this fantastic uh, hand together. Thanks to Chris Jones for putting it in the forums and uh, providing this fantastic analysis. And again, folks, do click the link and go check out the uh, forum post. You'll see some great uh, images and graphics there that'll help uh, break it down. Particularly, uh, Chris loves this Flopzilla. Uh, equity graph, uh, which compares the equity uh, of various players across the in their entire range of hands. It's not something that I see a lot of other people using, and it's been very helpful in our learning material uh, to get at some sort of counterintuitive aspects of uh, range analysis that, that Chris is so good at. So, um, all right, any uh, final thoughts before we close this baby out we had a good long conversation about this uh, it was a tricky spot these multi-way pots man i still don't know the right way to play them like i you start this hand over for me i still I have no idea what to do so just goes to show poker's heart um all right well thanks to taylor moss eric Jin, john somsky uh ben enslow rob washam and chris jones and thanks to eric anderson and john kroll for joining us here uh, our premium members who we adore mostly thanks to you the listeners uh you and the running aces hotel race all right have a great night everybody see you again next week